All right. It is September 21st. This is Market Call. That's MKT Call. I am Dan Nathan. I am joined by Liz Young of SoFi. Notice how I didn't use Guy's little nickname there, Liz. <laughs> That's a guy. That is a Guy Adami thing here. And you are confusing all of our Market Call viewers because you're here on a Wednesday, not a Got to keep them on their toes. I know, I know, I know. Surprise. All right. well, I appreciate it. In just a few minutes, we are going to have, it is Wednesday, and we have Tom Sosnoff from Tasty Trade. He is the CEO and founder of Tasty Trade. So he's going to join us in just a few minutes here. And we got a lot to talk about in just what, an hour or so. We're going to get the Fed's Federal Open Market Committee, their view on what they're going to do on rates. So, hey, I got to thank our sponsors here today. We are brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Of course, SoFi, Liz's fine employer. Get your money right all in one app. I have that app. And of course, Tasty Trade, empowering the individual investor through content, technology, and know-how. And Tom Sosnoff is going to deliver some of that know-how to you and me and Liz in just a few minutes. So stick around. And always thanks to Open Exchange. They power this operation. All right, Liz, let's do it. That was a lot. Fed. Yeah. <laughs> we got it. I Something's mean, we happening say, today, we, I hear. We, First of all, I think, you know, Guy is in, in Sicily and hopefully he's not tweeting. But the first thing that you did this morning is you sent out a tweet that I know that would have tweaked the hell out of Guy Adami. <laughs> it was, it was, it was happy dot plot day, people, or something <laughs> like that. Were you, did you have him in the back of your head Look, when you said there's that? Very, there's very little that I do that doesn't tweak Guy Adami. So, that, that, so yeah, of course I had him in the back of my head. At first yeah. I had happy fed day and I was like, no, I gotta, I gotta get in there a little better than that. Anyway, yeah. it is dot plot day. It's dot plot day. It's summary of economic projections day. That's the stuff that doesn't usually get all the hype. We talk about what they're going to raise rates by, but we never yeah. talk about ahead of the meeting, at least what we're going to see on the dot plot and what we're going to see on the SEP, the su- summary of economic projections. And I actually think that's the stuff that's more market moving. So we should focus yeah. on it. It's important. Well, it is interesting. You know, if you look at the CME Fed funds tracker that we look at quite frequently here on Market Call, the fact that we are an hour away from this, you know, announcement and that there's still an 18% chance that the Fed surprises and raises by 1% rather than 75 basis points is pretty interesting to me. And I get asked by Mm -hmm. a lot of people who are not staring at their fact set machines all day long, you know, about markets and saying, what do you think is going to happen? You forget that people like us, we're really focused on this. A lot of other people are just thinking about the trajectory and just kind of where rates are going here. And so to me, I do find that interesting. Is there a potential for a surprise if they were to do 1%? Obviously, I, I, I mean, to me, what seems obvious is that the stock market, the knee-jerk reaction would be to sell off. Rates continue to go mm-hmm. higher. And then to your point, what do they say about it? If they were to say it an hour later, well, that's it for a while. We're going to take a step back. Then you have a move the other way. And so as a trader, I always love days like this because it's going to present a lot of opportunities. And Tom and I are going to talk about that in a little bit. But for you, and as you speak to investors, they probably actually want to avoid everything between now and four clock and then listen to the kind of postmortems of it. Is that how you think about it a little bit? That's yeah. Well, that's exactly it. I think you hit it on the head for traders. This is the Super Bowl. This is the time when the market moves very quickly and it's over very quickly, right? It's over as quickly as it begins for a long-term investor, for the average investor. I'm not even going to use the term long-term for an average investor. They don't even probably know what happened until tonight after their day is done. And they're maybe watching the news. It's not 
top of mind for them. It's not something where they're watching the tape every minute. But here's the thing. So I don't think they're going to surprise and hike by 100 basis points. I think Jerome Powell hates surprises. I've said that before, and I will continue to say it. I think that he has been very clear about the intention. The only message that he has sent is that at some point in the future, it will be appropriate to slow the pace of hikes. He hasn't sent the message that they're going to necessarily go much bigger than they already have. And we know that they consider 75 basis points unusually large. So I think yeah. 75 is it. 100 would be a huge surprise. And, you know, it's funny when you said 18% chance that a, a, we see 100, I thought to myself, well, that's down from 20.8%, which was what it was, I think, yesterday. So. Yeah that probability has already come down. I think they do 75. Here's the interesting part. And this is what I think people can watch if they're watching the tape today. The futures market is pricing in 4.2% on the Fed funds rate by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So they're going to make their move. And then that dot plot is going to come out. And the summary of projections is going to come out. If that projection shows that, let's say the Fed funds rate is only expected to be at 4%, by the end of the year, the market is going to have to correct itself. And that likely drives a short-term rally because then maybe it's not as hawkish as the market had already priced in. So that's one of those things that like, that's a three-day story rather than a three-month to three-year story. Well, listen, later on the program, we're going to get to some of the sectors in which you'd be focused on if that were the case, if investors started to think that the Fed was probably closer to the end of their hike cycle than, you know, just really kind of getting in gear here. And again, I think it's hard to kind of consider the fact that we're going to have three consecutive 75 basis point hikes and that the Fed has a lot more a lot more room to go. And I know that there's a lot of economists out there who think that they should probably, but that's another conversation. And just real quickly here, you know, there's a Bloomberg story this morning talking about, you know, the history of sharp balances after Fed meetings. And this tweet I thought was really interesting the day after, though, that all that being said, on May 5th and June 16th, we had really horrible days. And then, you know, after June 16th, we did bottom and the S&P 500 uh, rallied, what, nearly 20% or so. We've given a bunch of that back as it became very clear that the Fed was not pivoting. And if you look at the S&P 500, the chart of it, and you see that kind of downtrend that we've been in from those August 16th highs after that very steady two-month rally here, you see we're kind of at the lower end of that downtrend. So could we have a bounce like you just said afterwards? Of course, you know, we sold off, what, six, six and a half percent into this event. If there's no big surprises, then the move is higher here. And, you know, again, I I just go back to, and we'll spend a little more time on another program talking about valuation of the S&P 500. Yesterday, we talked about the rate in which earnings expectations are coming down and what the proper multiple should be in a lower growth environment. And, you know, I highlight in this five-year chart, the S&P 500, I've been fairly steadfast that 3,400, I know there's a lot of strategists out there who think much lower if you put a 15 multiple on what you think is kind of up, you know, kind of low single digits earnings growth for the S&P 500. And you got to get back towards that pre-pandemic high of 3,400 and possibly below that. But here's the main point here, Liz. Thoughts on rates here. Because again, you just spoke to where Fed funds are pricing maybe four and a quarter over the next, what, six months or so. Here's a 10-year chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. You see where it is. It's basically near 20-year highs for all intents and purposes. Thoughts on what rates might do if they, even if we are going to see another 1% in Fed funds, sooner or later, if we do have a slower growth environment, the 10-year is going to moderate these gains. Yes, I absolutely. You mean gains in yield. So yes. 
here's the thing what the fed needs to do what their goal is in this whole process is to get to restrictive policy we are not there yet and you can define it a couple different ways one of the ways you can think about it is to get the fed funds rate above that sort of yield or some sort of benchmark yield in the bond market we're not there so let's say we get 75 today that brings us to 325 on the upper bound we're still not there if the 10 year is at three and a half so once we get above that point or once the market brings its expectations down for where the fed funds rate might be then i think the 10-year yield starts to come back down for a multitude of different reasons and if guy were here he would go through the fact that the 10-year yield probably comes down for the wrong reasons in the sense that everybody's afraid of a recession they went too far right but i agree that i don't think we can get much higher than this because we're going to start approaching that point where the fed funds rate is close to the 10-year yield close to restrictive territory in which case i think the bond market gets sort of satisfied with that restriction and starts to relax yeah, well, and just real quickly, here's a 20-year chart of the two-year treasury yield. And when you think about it, if you are kind of have a downbeat sort of view on the return environment in, in stocks, I mean, two-year yields at 4% seem kind of attractive. And it is kind of interesting just to kind of take a look back, you know, right prior to the financial crisis, you know, we had a two-year yield that was 5%. And again, you know, we've we've thrown these charts up of the 10-year over the last 30 years or the two-year over the last 30 years. It is upper left, bottom right. And so these moves, these sharp moves that we've seen, you know, over the last year in treasury yields really do break them out above those long-term downtrends. But again, you know, I suspect we have a bit of a reversion. Well, listen, Liz, we're going to hit some stocks and we're going to hit some sectors when we come back. I want you to take take five, take a powder. I'm going to bring in Tom Sosnoff here and we're going to whip around. We're going to get a little wonky on some options stuff, on some trading and that sort of thing. And then we'll we'll get you back here. So just stick around here real quickly. So again, all right. Thanks, Liz. Tom Sosnoff, welcome, sir. You are the CEO and founder of Tasty Trade. You are a trader extraordinaire. You spend a lot of time each morning dropping a lot of knowledge on your listeners on Tasty Trade. And we'd love a little of that knowledge dropped here. Welcome, Tom. Welcome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. All right. Let's talk a little bit here. You heard Liz and I talking about yeah. kind of, again, and I know you're one of these guys where until you see the data, until you see what the Fed's going to say. Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't give a crap. You're right. You don't give no. a crap. Okay. No, I so, couldn't care less. Let's say this. Let's say we can kind of wind the clock an hour ahead here, okay? Mm -hmm. And let's say there's just no surprises whatsoever, right? And we've yeah. just, the stock market sold off a little bit. We still have a fairly downbeat environment as it relates to what a lot of investors are thinking about corporate earnings. I think that FedEx pre-announcement last week really got some people, you know, kind of focused yeah. on the fact that things are a bit slow here and corporate earnings are likely to be a bit weaker than than consensus. What are your thoughts here? Because, you know, are, are, do we, and again, directionally, near term here. What, what do you think the bias would be, assuming no surprises as far as the Fed in an hour or so? Well, one of the things I love about Fed announcements is that for all the messaging, all the media crap, everything that goes back and forth prior to it, there is absolutely no way that even if I told you what the number is, you would know yeah. what to do. I've probably been trading Fed numbers for you know almost 40 years. And even in the bond pit and everything else, nobody has any clue, you know, what any of it means or how to interpret any of it. All we know is that in the next 24 or 48 hours, there'll probably be a little meaner version from whatever the emotional yeah. event is today. Other than that, 
there is no really All right. solid takeaway. So, so speak to that because that's really yeah. important. And as yeah. a trader, that's the opportunity. It's kind of being well, a little bit patient, right? And and I don't know. It. So so there's there's two opportunities here as a trader. The first opportunity is that traders are opportunistic by nature. That That's pretty much our business. And so what you're looking for is a lot of noise in the market. And one of the things that Fed announcements do is they give you a ton of noise, which means there's so much uncertainty that it's a very fair game. There's no, you know, nobody has any edge over anybody else and there's no theoretical edge and no, there's basically no quantitative edge, no statistical edge, no, no theoretical edge, nothing. So that's good. That means it's very level playing field. The other thing that's really interesting about, I think about events like this is, there's no edge, but I believe there's certain situations where there's pot odds. And I think today is one of those rare situations in the bonds. And listen, I've been a bond bear for, I don't know, probably for 11 years. So I was a little early. But at this point where we are today, I really like the pot odds to the upside in bonds. And so we're leaning, I never lean long in bonds and I'm leading long in bonds, which is, which is really rare for us. But the reason for it is, is not because I think whatever's going to come out is going to be good for the bond market price wise. The reason I'm leaning long in bonds is because I feel like they're so oversold right now that the yeah. downside risk being one, the upside is potentially two or three. So for no other reason that we're, other than we're at price extreme, I like the bonds here, which means which means bond prices go higher, yields go lower. And yeah. that's what I see happening no matter what the Fed number is. Yeah. And that's just trader talk. That's what you want for the show. That's well, what I see. If it makes you feel better, two days ago, Carter Braxton Worth, who you know, was on here, and he mm -hmm. had a slightly similar view from a technical perspective. I know you don't care about technicals, but right. I'm just telling you that. And then yesterday, my friend Danny Moses from my co-host of On The Tape Pod, he also likes bonds here for the same reason, for some fundamental reasons. You're looking at it from a pot odds perspective. And what does that mean? The probabilities and, and sentiment. Yeah, and and sure. so we're kind of putting together a little bit of mosaic. Now, bear with me here. If you agree with that, then I actually think there's a really good chance that the U.S. dollar, which is making 20-year highs today, okay, largely against, you know, a basket. If we look at the DXY, the Dixie, yeah, which is 50% sure. euro, I'm going to throw up a 20-year chart here you see the breakout it's making new 20 yeah, that's, i don't i don't i don't care about breakouts so all right I, you don't care about that okay yeah. so then if i look at the uup this is the etf that tracks sure. the u.s dollar index sure. and you see on a one-year basis a really nice uptrend it's checked back to that again you don't care about that but if i'm going to incorporate everything that you just said about bonds and i'm going to relay it to the fact that if yields are going to come in then i think the u.s dollar is going to come in and here's how okay. i'm going to play this and i want you to take a my trade or tell me what you think about it okay i'm going to look at november options in the uup why am i looking at november the next fed meeting after today is going to be november 2nd here okay and i get kind of feel like if investors start thinking that there was just too much to one side about the rate increases and the hawkishness okay and we are correct and maybe we do see yields come in and we see the dollar check back to that uptrend a little bit the way to play this and and again I think that if you look at this chart that I have here real quickly of implied vol in the UUP versus 30-day at the money historical vol, you're going to say, I want to sell, okay? You're going to want to sell that vol. I'm just kind of 
putting words in your mouth here and I'll let you speak to that. I kind of want to buy options here. I want to buy puts. So when the UUP today was trading about 29.75, you could buy the November 30 put for about 65 cents. You have profits below 29.35. That's down only one and a half percent. This is an in the money put options. I have losses up to 65 cents between 29.35 and 30 with a max loss of 65 cents above 30. I'm only risking 2.2% of the ETF price. I'm targeting this next FOMC meeting or the sentiment that kind of builds into it in a way. And so to me, I just kind of like the risk reward here. I think that this UUP probably goes back to 28 and a half if investors sniff anything that you're talking about here. And just real quickly, and I know this again, you know, you don't do a lot of long premium directional trading here. I like to use a 50% mental stop long premium directional. And then if I have a winner here, I either look to spread, roll down, cut half, that sort of thing. What do you think of this trade idea here that I've just laid out? Okay. Well, let me back up and I'll get right to your trade idea in a second. So first of all, as I've said on, I think on the show a couple of times already, my biggest directional position right now is short dollars and I'm shorted all over the place. So it's our biggest notional commitment to the market right now is short dollars. I think it's the most oversold market. As much as I think bonds are crazy oversold on a short-term basis, I think currencies are more oversold and the dollar is more rich. It's been, it's been hyperbolic. I absolutely despise the risk reward in being long dollars here. So I agree with you. But a couple of things. First of all, the correlation between bonds and US dollar is very random. And to think that there is a relationship between what happens in the bonds, other than a very short emotional move in US dollar, is actually not the bet here because there is no predictable or sustainable correlation between those two. So I wouldn't look at bonds and dollar and think that there's there's something there. I think they're both independent of each other, and I think they both warrant a trade. Now, as far as UUP goes, I think your play is fine, except I don't think that's the play in the U.S. dollar. Because UUP, I know most customers can trade UUP because you know it's a cheap listed option, that kind of thing. But if you want to play U.S. dollar because of the low volatility, even though volatility is very rich right now, in currencies, it's low. Historically, it trades ridiculously low. So low meaning low relative to any other any other financial instrument. So you need high leverage when you trade currencies. And the only way that I think you can play currencies right now is using is using listed options on CME futures. And you can get as small as you want delta wise, but mm-hmm. right now like the most liquid is the euro. The yen is reasonably liquid. The Aussie dollar is reasonably liquid. The British pound is reasonably liquid. The Canadian dollar is a little less liquid, but it's tradable. So you have the Aussie, the euro, the Japanese yen, which are all really liquid. You can get every single trade on the CME options for currencies, Dan, trades one tick around mid-price. So there's yep. only a one tick give up no matter what you want to do. Every single delta is available. I think it's a much cleaner play than getting into UP. If you don't have a futures account and you're not on a platform that supports futures, get on one. But if you... I know. You, want, I, you know what's funny? I know one that's got a really snappy name that you can... Yeah, but I mean, I'm not with. even talking about... Like, I'm not even... I know. I'm, I'm with you. I just think... I think that to be an effective trader in 2022 and beyond if you are not indifferent to product and you are not indifferent to strategy then there's no reason there's no reason to think that you're participating in the markets because this is a market of we're in a universe right now of capital efficiency and the difference is that on the 
euro, any kind of listed futures options to trade any kind of currency, you're only putting up about 14 or 15%. And so it's a decent amount. You know, you're at a decent leverage. If you're trying to do it on a, let's, let's call it a 12 or 13%, you know, implied vol, it's yeah. very difficult to trade that in like kind of the UUP, UUP world. That's my only thing. No, I, I get it. And, and I'll just like kind of, you know, clap back here a little bit. I mean, I'm not staring, um, trading all day long. I'm doing a lot of the different things here and I have a portfolio of stocks that I own. I have things that I'm short. I, I get call, it. I get it. You know, and so for me, sometimes like it's just like when I think about my portfolio, owning that put and how I trade makes some sense to me. So I get all of that and I appreciate all that feedback. And that's why we do this thing. All right, real quickly, Tom, before we get out of here, I wanted to get your take on this because again, Again, and this is really from a vol standpoint. After the close tonight, two home builders are going to report. Okay, KB Home is one of them. The implied move, the one-day implied move, is eleven percent, which seems kind of sizable here. The average move over the last four quarters, again, it's about seven and a half percent. Doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. Just going to throw that up there. But Lennar, a higher-end home builder, okay, also reporting the implied move in the options market one day again tomorrow, about six and a half percent. And this stock has only moved on average about two percent over the last four quarters when you see that two names in the exact same group reporting and different pricings of those perspectives any, anything that, that kind of comes out at you any thoughts there about that no i mean on both of these stocks they're marginally tradable so you know like like i think again I, i'm gonna get back to my product indifference thing for a second yeah there's so much going on here that if you really want to trade earnings you know i don't think we're down to slim pickings. I think, what do you have left this week? Costco and- uh, Yeah, Costco next week, I, or tomorrow, yeah. Yeah, tomorrow. I think there's Costco and there's one other one with a decent- FedEx, which already pre-announced, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but still, there's there's decent volume in FedEx, right? FedEx and Costco yeah. are two that are tradable. Lennar and KB Homes, they haven't even traded a million shares each. Both stocks, to me, don't even hit what we call, on a scale of one to four liquidity-wise, these are both twos or two and a halves. In the world of earnings trading, I'd be very careful. I get your whole volatility argument. I don't like the liquidity in here. And this is, and today and tomorrow are going to be the two most liquid days. So if you're stuck in KB Homes or you're stuck in Lenar anywhere longer than tomorrow, I don't like the trade. So I probably am not touching either of those two plays just because they don't meet qualifications for us on the liquidity side. Fair enough. Oh, listen, Tom, we appreciate it again. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you back here next week. Guy Adami will be back here. So for more of Tom Sosnoff, you can get him every morning on Tasty Trade. So go to tastytrade.com and you can follow Tasty Trade at Tasty Trade on Twitter. Tom, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Love it. All right, Liz Young, EY from SoFi. Yo. I'm just going to get you ready here because, you know, you know, guys coming back hot here a little bit. You heard a little bit of what we were talking about with the home builders. Thoughts on that? Because I just conceptually from where you sit from a fundamental standpoint, when you see two names within one group, okay, which again, it's, mm-hmm. you know, not a monolith. They, they kind of serve different sort of ends of the market here. Pretty interesting. Thoughts on home builders in general here. And do you think that this is a group that is, you know, kind of, getting washed out, especially if you think that rates, you know, we know the the 30-year mortgage just topped out above 6% highest in, you know, over 10 years, that sort of thing. Well, thoughts on home builders really quickly. So I think in the cycle, 
obviously stocks are going to bottom first. So it's possible that we're in the sort of bottom range on home builders. The issue here is that you have to have a little longevity. If you're going to buy them here, I don't think it's a terrible idea, but you're going to have to wait a while for it to actually work for durable upside. That doesn't mean, you know, you're going to have to wait for a little pop on earnings. That's very possible. And and I know I talked to you before the show about somebody that just upgraded home builders. So we might get a pop on earnings, but look, if you're trying to find durable upside in this group, I think it's going to be a while and we've got to get through the whole cycle and we haven't seen home prices relax enough yet, I think yeah. there's still going to be more pain in this sector. Well, that's a really good point. And I suspect that you know if Powell doesn't address the housing market in his prepared remarks, he's going to get questions about it. And he's been very vocal about the fact that you know the housing market is something that needs to kind of cool down a little bit. Some of the data suggests that it has, and yep. the price action in these home builders certainly suggests that it has. And to your point, I mean, listen, no one's going to be able to pick a point in time when any sector bottoms. And if you have a view about you know a specific sector, you're going to have to start the dollar cost average and maybe avoiding single stocks through some of these sector ETFs makes sense and you avoid that that sort of idiosyncratic risk. Let's talk, Amanda threw up a, a nice little one-day performance of some of the different sectors in the S&P as we're kind of heading into this meeting here. We have the S&P up more than, I don't know, 70 basis points right now, outperforming our consumer staples, industrials, utilities. I know that you like staples and industrials. You also like the one all the way down on the bottom there, the XLC, <laughs> which is not a barbell approach, well. Dan. <laughs> yeah. But real quickly, before we hit some of these sectors, because I want to I want to focus on if you think the Fed is getting closer to an end of their hiking cycle, where you want to be positioned and how you want to start kind of dipping your toe in the water if you have capital. Talk to me real quickly about just broader ETF flows because you brought a couple of charts here and you think this is important to kind of think about the markets holistically. Yeah. So first of all, I don't like staples. I like industrials, financials, and communications. Reasons for that, first of all, when you look at is the Fed going to get closer to done? With every meeting, we're closer to done. And I don't mean to say that smugly, but it's true. With every meeting, yeah. we're closer to done. But closer to done does not mean they're going to stop hiking. And I hate the word pivot in this environment because I don't think they're anywhere near pivoting. Pivoting yeah. to me means a different direction. I think they might slow down the pace of hikes. And at some point, possibly in 2023, early 2023, we get a pause, but that's not a pivot. So this is not necessarily a time where you want to decide that we've ended a certain point in the cycle and we've gone back to early cycle, in which case I'd have completely different sectors to talk about. But when you look at the valuations on these sectors, and that's really what I'm paying attention to here is how much are we willing to pay for the opportunity and what is that opportunity? So the valuations on some of these sectors, communications is a a classic growth sector that is still trading pretty cheap. So even if we get a slowdown in the pace of hikes, you probably see some more upside there. And I think there's more upside opportunity there than there is in tech. Yeah. So here's one thing again, you know, and I I really like your point about pivot and what that means. You know, if the Fed were to do a literally a hard pivot and just kind Mm -hmm. of suggest that they're going to go from aggressively hawkish to possibly dovish, that means because the economy is in a really bad situation. And that is not going to be a a scenario where I think you're going to be dying to just kind of 
get all loaded up on stocks either. You know, again, because if we were to have a recession and we were to see the stock market start to anticipate that, you know, who knows how long it's going to be. And, you know, we had a guest on yesterday, you know, who thinks that, you know, we might be in for a really tough economic slog. It was Alf. You got to look, you got to check out the macro Alf on Twitter. He's a great follow there. All right. Let's just kind of talk, though, a little bit about some of the ETF flows and what they're telling you right now, because again, this is cross asset class here. And I think this is important. You know, we spent a lot of time mm-hmm. talking about individual sectors in the market, but some of these sort of cross these different asset classes are really going to have a huge impact on how stocks trade. Yep, that's true. So the reason that I think this is interesting, as you can see in that last bucket there, equity inflows suddenly getting a huge pop in the last week. So this is Wednesday to Wednesday. This is yeah pretty much through close yesterday. So that's partially anticipation of a Fed meeting, partially just kind of getting exhausted with having sold it since that last August kind of top, which was August 16th. And I think that this is a good indication that investors are still in the market. Now, I am not a technician, and I've said this before, and I don't play one on TV, but we haven't really seen a lot of those technical signals at that June low that struck and said, okay, that's it. That's as low as we're going to go, right? So I think it's important to note that investors are still here. They're still willing to buy the dip and they still are hopeful that we're going to get upside through the end of the year. And then if you dig deeper, Amanda, if we can go to that next chart that I shared, if you dig deeper into equities, where in equities are they going? So then we just broke this down into four weeks. If you look at the latest week, we're getting a ton of inflows into large cap equity. So it's buying the dip in the stuff that people have had winners in before. My concern here is that I don't think big cap tech is going to be the big winner, which is why I chose things like industrials and financials as the other sectors as opportunities. So I think that if you're going to go into large cap and you're going to put money into equities, you dip into things that are a little bit more value, a little bit more cyclical rather than tech at this juncture. Yeah, fair enough. And, and again, you know, I own a, a bunch of beaten up tech stocks. On average, they're down like 80%. I literally have bought them, though, in the last couple months when they've been down in this range. And I'm kind of thinking about, again, I think, you know, I have a one down scenario, maybe two or three up. And that's kind of using some of the Tom Sosnoff language there. But by the same token, you know, I'm kind of hitting the cues on the short side when I'm kind of bearish on the market, because I agree with you. I think that's going to be led by some of those big names. And I just want to mention this before we get out of here because yesterday, one of my last comments on the market call when Apple was trading at 157 or so, very near where it's trading right now, it was one of the only stocks on my screen that was green in a market that was down 1%. And again, you know, like I look at that chart here, it's a year to date, you see that kind of series of lower highs. It still shows tremendous relative strength relative to the the market and many of its large cap tech peers only down 11% on the year versus NASDAQ down 26%. In my view, it's kind of holding up the market for all intents and purposes here. But I took a shot. I bought some weekly puts, the 155s. I paid about two and a quarter for those again when the stock was like 157 yesterday. And just a quick update because the stock's not budging here. The market feels like it wants to party a little bit into the thing. And I closed that and you know, I sold it for a loss at about a dollar seventy. So I paid two twenty five yesterday, a dollar seventy. That's a big loss in one day. I'm a big boy. I, I just really <laughs> taking a shot to see that. I thought maybe the stock market would kind of continue to move lower yesterday into the close, and then ultimately 
Apple would turn negative and then lead to the downside. It didn't happen. I played for a little bit today. It doesn't feel like it's going to come down, but it is a coin flip right now. And just think when you're trading weekly options, right? And we have an event like we do midday. If the market rips, those things and the further the stock gets away from that put strike of 155. And again, I paid a little over two. So my break even is at 152.80 or something like that. The less likelihood that I'm going to be able to, to be in the money here and the closer we get to Friday's expiration, the quicker these things go to zero. That's why we use mental stops here. That's why I close this trade. I'm going to look for a different entry point. Just a quick update there on that Apple because that was my final thought yesterday. It's my final thought today. Liz Young, thank you very much. You brought receipts. You brought some tweets that are going to annoy Guy when he goes back and he kind of scrolls through your Twitter feed. So we really appreciate you being here. Liz Young from SoFi, thank you very much on a Wednesday and we'll see you, you soon. Bet. All right. All right. All and right. Thanks again to FactSet. We appreciate all of their help and support and all the data that they bring here. And of course, Tasty Trade and Tom Sosnoff for being on with us on Wednesdays. And of course, to Open Exchange, who powers this fine operation at Market Call. Thanks a lot, everyone. I'll be back here tomorrow at 1 p.m. with Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. We'll see you then. Thanks.